<laughs> it was very early on in our dating relationship that Karen and I were sitting across the table from each other, and, and I don't remember which one of us said, but we said, do you, do you like camping? And, and you don't know how to answer that question because it's either right or wrong, right? And, uh, and she just really said, I think it was me that asked, and she said, no, no, I, I don't like camping at all. And, I, and I'm like, thank God, you're the one, you're the one for me, <laughs> because camping for Karen and I is lack of Wi-Fi internet access, and so I, I really identify with that commercial. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to launch into a new message series called From This Day On, and we're going to do two things, uh, actually two or three things. One of those is we're going to try to invest in the lives of those, that, of those of you that hope to be married someday, right? There's some principles and relationships, four relationships that you can get started on now. The other thing that we're going to do is we're going to uh, talk to people who are already married, give you some tools that will, no kidding, fail-proof your marriage if you'll both do them. We want to look at five commitments that I believe with all of my heart. If we make these commitments, we keep them, you will literally upgrade your relationship to a place of strength and security and godliness and health that's just unprecedented. So we're going to make and keep five commitments. We'll, we'll do each one a week at a time. We'll use marriage as the foil, but the reality is these principles will upgrade any relationship that I can think of. A teacher, student, a, a coach, a player, a friendship. These are good relationship principles for almost anybody. Now, because I know some of the stories of the people in this room, and I put myself firmly in this bucket, you might be asking yourself the question, I'm wounded. I've been beat up by life. I've been kicked around by some relationships that if I told you the story, your, what's left of your hair would be standing straight up on end. And is it even possible? Is it even possible for me to have a healthy relationship at this point? Because of the experiences of the past, because of the debris, because of the pain. And just answer that question. Emphatically, yes, it is possible. But not just to the wounded people, to everybody. Because it's possible doesn't mean it's likely. Can I just be really honest? Marriage in our society, in our culture, maybe even in our world, is pretty much a train wreck. It's still true. Uh, very close to the last numbers I saw, very close to 50% of marriages still end in divorce, in dissolution, in people not wanting to be together anymore. And just let me ask yourself a question. Is there any other important area of life that you would take those kind of odds on, right? Hey, I've got a great investment opportunity for you, and here, here's the deal. It's going to be great, or tomorrow there's a 50% chance you're going to lose all of your money, everything gone. Can I sign you up today? It's like, no one would agree to that. Nobody would agree to that. It's, it's a huge amount of risk. How about this? There's a 50% chance that the plane ride that Sam Wright is going to take is going to end in a burning ball of fire. Is there any chance that Sam is going to take the No. His Amtrak is going to get some money. He's going he's to get into the car and pack the kids into the car. He's going to drive. If there's a 50% chance you're going to crash, there's a, it's not going to work. If there were a 50% chance that Mountain Dew caused cancer... Rusty Timberlake and I would be drinking Fresca, baby. It's like we'd, we'd have to make a change because 50% chance is just, it's a lot. It's a lot. What about this? If you knew, if I told you, and you believe me, that tomorrow you walk out your door and there was a 50% chance you would be attacked by a herd of hungry cats with human thumbs, and they would be flesh-eating cats, 50% chance... Would you call in sick? Would you take the day off? Would you do something different? Yeah, you would. The thumbs are scary on cats. I, I just don't, I don't even want to think about that. But here's the thing. <sighs> we make people take a class and pass a test to drive a car. We make people uh, go through an interview process where they have to put in a resume and they apply to get a job, right? If you're somewhere 
in the State Department, there's all kinds of security clearances and there are, things, there are hoops you've got to jump through, right? Because there's risk involved. But for marriage, hey, for 15 bucks, you can go down to the thing and get a license and anybody can get one and we don't prepare at all. And is it any wonder that 50% of, of our relationships crash and burn? It's crazy. We would not approach anything in life the way that we approach marriage. Oh, well, you know, we just kind of go with the flow, just kind of get in there and, and see what happens. In our, in our wedding vows, uh, there's something that's really good about them. Um, you know, it's like, I, Eric, take you, Karen, to be my lawfully whatever, why, sickness and in health, for better or worse, from this day on, right? It, it's very forward looking. And, and it takes this moment in time and it, it projects out into the future and it's very full of hope. And it's very full of promise. It's very full of commitment. <laughs> the end of the wedding vows say, uh, so help me God. And most people say that like it's a statement, like it's a stamp, you know, so help me God. But I think that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is we need to look at that phrase uh, a little bit differently. We need to add a comma and say, so, I can't do this. Help me, God. And one of the main things that, that we need to do to upgrade our relationships is to this, seek God. We need to look up. <laughs> as a couple, as friends, in all the relationships in our life, we need to order them according to God's will and his word and his principles. And if we'll do that, it will serve us well. So here are the five commitments that we're going to go through for the next couple of weeks. And, and here they are. We commit to, one, seek God. Two, fight fair. Three, have fun. Four, stay pure. Five, never give up. Say them again. Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. Five commitments. Today is seek God. And see, our culture lifts up romantic love as this pinnacle, and it's, it's very good, don't get me wrong. It's this pinnacle of happiness, and there is, in fact, a lot of joy there. And they tell us, like, all the time, find the one, meet the one, seek, seek out, find the one for you. You won't be fulfilled in life until you meet the one. And this is the ironic part of that. That's completely true. <laughs> it's completely true. But it's not true in the way they mean it. When it comes to marriage, God is your one. When you meet the one, it's not another person. It's not a cute girl with a button nose. It's not a guy who has a properly trimmed beard. It's God. God is your one. Your spouse, your significant other, is your two. In Matthew 22, it says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He doesn't say, love a cute girl with all your heart and all your soul. That's what we get in the movies, right? That's what we get on TV, on, on the Hallmark Channel. Love that pretty girl with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's great. No, that sort of love is reserved for God, right? We want a blessed marriage. We want a blessed career. We want successful kids. We want to be intentional. We want financial blessings. We want to work hard and be rewarded. We want to be generous. We want to make an eternal difference. But here's the thing. Any one of those good things, we can't make the one. We can't make our spouse the one. We can't make our career the one. We can't make our children the one. Or it will get completely out of balance. We have to seek God first. And then he says that all of these things will be added to us. Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Listen, if you're not married yet, seek the one. <laughs> Prepare for the two. See, our culture says, find the one, find the person who's right for you, and find the one, but here, can I just say this? 
<laughs> when it comes to marriage, when it comes to a healthy relationship, it's more about being the right person than it is about finding the right person. Can I say that again? It's more about being the right person than finding the right person. Seek the one. Center yourself up in who God wants you to be and become the person that you want to marry. Uh, I've heard Andy Stanley tell this story, and it's a harrowing story when he tells it, and I, I think he actually knew this person. But there was a girl, and like many girls in our culture, she goes off to college, right? Came from a pretty strict household, and so when she got to college, she went a little bit crazy. Didn't have to go to bed, didn't have to answer anybody, so went a little bit nuts and got, got into the party scene, started drinking, um, got into some other stuff, <laughs> uh, got into a bunch of relationships that went too far, one after the other, one after the other, and, and she kept thinking in the back of her mind, you know what, someday I'm going to cut it out, this is, I'm young, I'm just going to have a good time, I'm going to cut it out at some point, I'm going to settle down, I'm going to have a godly family and a home, I'm going to get back into church, and she kind of had that on the back burner, but she kept engaging in the lifestyle that she was in, um, she met a guy who was a really great kid. He was just a stand-up guy. He was actually, even at a young age, just discipling other people. He, he was just a godly man, full of integrity, um, just, just a really cool kid. And uh, the girl is home for the weekend doing her laundry. She's talking to her mom. She goes, oh, mom, I met this great guy. He's amazing. Oh, my gosh. He's so involved in this and that and the other. Here's the things he's doing. And he said, you know what? I, I really want to talk to him. I think he might be the kind of godly husband that I would really like to have. And the mom looked at the daughter and said, uh, honey, that guy is not going to be interested in a girl like you. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, oh, ouch, kick in the gut. Holy cow. That kind of guy is not going to be interested in a girl like you. Listen, we need to become the kind of person that you would want to marry. And if you are married, always seek the one with your two. <laughs> when it comes to making another person the one, here's the, there are two problems. First is this, we make terrible gods. We are awful <laughs> as gods. And if we put a person as the one in our life, you are setting them up to fail because at some point they're going to do it wrong. And when God does it wrong, Oh my goodness, does resentment set in, right? If you're, you're setting themselves up to fail, you're setting yourself up to resent them when they don't get it right. You're, setting, you're asking your spouse or your friend or your relationship or your coach, whoever that person that you put in that primary position that belongs to God, if you put them in that place, you're setting themselves up to fail. You're asking them to do something they are not capable of doing. Don't do that. It's bad. It's bad, right? Uh, probably familiar with the play Romeo and Juliet. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. Uh, the problem with Shakespeare, and, and even English professors get mesmerized by the language, the language of Romeo and Juliet is so beautiful that we get caught up in it because it's, it's really amazing language. But, but the, the reading of Shakespeare is you always have to take a step back, in my opinion, right? And, and it's, it's really very simple. Look at it like a five-year-old. Okay, there's a bunch of people, they're doing stuff, they make decisions, and then what happens at the end? If at the end, everybody dies, <laughs> right? The stuff they were doing before was bad. Don't do that. If at the end, they get married and have a party and everybody's happy, the decisions they made before, that's good. Do more of that, right? Shakespeare is really, really simple when you, when you step back and look at the consequences of actions. I mean, we, our culture talks about Romeo and Juliet like it's this pinnacle of love and it's this, just this, tra it's this, high, this high point of love. It's just this tragedy that shouldn't have happened. The reality is, this is the story of Romeo and Juliet and not to be crass. 
It's a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old who commit a double suicide over a misunderstanding. That's what happens in the story. It's not the pinnacle of love, <laughs> right? This, this is a horrible tragedy, and Shakespeare is saying, don't do that. And there's a lot of things going on in Romeo and Juliet, but one of them is this. Shakespeare is saying to us, Shakespeare is saying to us, that ultimate place of love is not for Juliet. It's not for Romeo. That all-encompassing love that, we, that you give everything for is for God alone. It's not for another person. And when we put another person in the place of God and something happens and they die or we lose them somehow, then we're devastated and we have nothing to live for. If you put all your eggs in that basket, it can be devastating. Devastating. The second problem with putting people in the one slot is this. When our idols fail, we hate them. <laughs> and you know the drill. I mean, you've all, you've all seen this happen and play out in relationships that, that, you, that you know. Um, <laughs> when... When they're dating, the guy, says, the guy says this, oh my gosh, she is unbelievably organized. She's amazing. She's so driven. She's such a, I love the way she's very passionate life. She's a real go-getter. I love that about her. About 15 minutes after their <laughs> wedding vows, maybe 14 minutes, it doesn't take very long, that changes to, she's a control freak. <laughs> she wants everything her way. Oh my gosh, I can't breathe. She's all over me. She nags, nags, nags. She's driving me crazy, right? Because when you idolize somebody, and then it turns out that they're not actually God, it's really easy to demonize them. And the same thing goes the other way. The girl talks about the guy, and oh my goodness, have I heard this before. He's so laid back. He comforts me. He's just so easygoing. I love, I love that he's just so easygoing, and just, he's just not ruffled about anything. He's just, he's just really back, very calming. That turns very quickly into, this idiot is a bump on a log. I can't, he is inert. I can't get him to move. You know, he gets home and he goes into a coma like st in front of the TV with a beer and a ball game and I can't get him to do anything. It's like I've got a list of things to accomplish. I can't get him to do anything. He's lazy. I hate him. You know, it's like he's, he's driving me crazy. So, Psalms 10 says this. In his pride, the wicked do not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy. I'll never have trouble. That's what our culture says, right? That sounds really familiar to me. That way ends in 50% divorce. That ends in little kids thinking it's their fault that mommy and daddy don't live together anymore. In financial devastation, in loneliness, in depression, in lots of bad things. We've got to take a different path. We've got to take a different path when it comes to relationships. So in thinking about seek God, there's a lot of directions that can go. And, and so you start thinking about what can we do? Well, we read scripture together, we go to church together, we serve together, we pray together, we cultivate godly relationships in a setting like a small group, be intentional with your kids and the next generation. Listen, develop spiritual traditions in your family. And when we get a list of 17 things to, to simplify your life, it, it get, we end up doing zero things to simplify our life. So I had to step back, I had to step back and say, okay, simplify, simplify this. Here's one thing to do, one thing, one. Ready? One. Here it is. Pray. That's it. Pray. Family Life did a study of relationships, Christian relationships specifically, that, that last. They were troubled by the statistic that it seems like as many people who are Christians get divorced as people who aren't Christians. And so they started digging into that, and they found some interesting things. One of the things they found was that there's a, there's a significant difference in People who say they're Christians and people who actually go to church on a regular basis. People who go to church on a regular basis have a much lower rate of divorce than people who don't. 
Make of that what you will. The really fascinating statistic for me was couples that prayed together regularly had a 99% chance to stay together. They had a 1% rate of divorce instead of a 50% rate of divorce. Now, correlation is not causation, as many smart people in the room know, but that is an amazing statistic. And I think there's, a, there's something to the idea that there are habits that we engage in that propel us a certain direction, that give us a positive momentum, if you will. Keystone habits that help us on the path. And I think if we pray together, there are several things that that launches us toward. Let me just give you some of the benefits to praying together that make a lot of sense and that strengthen our relationships, just from a common sense point of view. It's hard to pray with someone you're mad at, <laughs> first of all. And conversely, it's hard to stay mad at somebody you're praying for. Because you, when you pray, you have a tendency to see that person through God's eyes, through the lens of forgiveness, through the lens of love, through the lens of blessing. And if you are daily or multi-times a day encouraging, blessing, praying for, supporting in prayer, connection with the Almighty, another person, it's hard to stay <laughs> mad at them, right? It's difficult to have an affair with someone you are praying with every day. When you're seeking God together, you're less likely to step out because you're connected with somebody in an important way. Craig Rochelle, uh, pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma City, I, I went there for a while when I used to live there many moons ago. But he has this, he has this, amazing, this amazing story where he said a, a couple in his church, an older couple, the wife was uh, terminal. She was dying. The doctor said she's only got a few, a few hours, so Craig goes to visit. And uh, he comes into the room and he said, I, I, just, I didn't know what to think. He said, I almost felt like an intruder, but he said, it was just this wonderful moment. So the extended family was there. He said the, the, the wife was dying. She was in her 90s. The husband was there sitting by her bedside, had kids, grandkids. <laughs> you know, they just had extended family just surrounding the bed. The old man cracks open his Bible to Psalm 23 and reads it over the room as a spiritual blessing. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be afraid. I won't fear evil because you're here with us. And it was just this amazing moment. And he prayed for his wife, he prayed for his family, and he let her go. <laughs> and he said, you know what? I love you. Thank you so much for the years that we spent together. And I'll see you soon. A few hours later, she passed away. And, and Craig is just, you know, watching this and his head's about to explode <laughs> because, you know, it, there, there's, there's a, such a big range of how this story plays out and it's not always that neat and pretty. And that is what it is. But, but Craig looked at the guy and he said, dude, I, I, I see your relationship and I'm a young guy. I want what you have. What is your secret? <laughs> will, you, will, you will you tell me, you know, what you did right here? And the old man just kind of got a look on his face. He said, oh my goodness, we messed up in every way you can mess up. It, in, I can't even remember all the ways we got it wrong. He said, but the one thing that we did right was we were faithful together in prayer. We prayed together often. Every week we would pray together. And Craig just went, hmm, <laughs> really interesting. The old couple, well, their secret, secret, they prayed together. So here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow morning, 5 a.m., the prayer meeting is on. The two-hour prayer meeting, 5 a.m., 5 to 7. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, the best way is just jump in with both feet, 
Um, no, I'm kidding. Start small. Just start small. Just everyone relax, okay? Take a step back, breathe, relax. Start small. Do your best to pray for your most important relationships every day. How much different would our lives be if we prayed over our kids, if we prayed for our spouse, if we prayed for our teachers, prayed for our parents, right? How much differently would our lives be if we just took a minute? With spouses, send a quick text. Listen, this doesn't have to be a 45-minute dissertation. It doesn't have to be, oh, heavenly father, and you start with the house of representatives in district three and work your way through the list. It doesn't have to be that. Listen, send a quick test. God bless you with peace today. I know you've got, I know you've got a big thing with the job. God bless you and help you focus and help you do well, right? Um, it, it can be a, just a, a small word of encouragement. I'm praying for you. I hope you do well. And, and listen, just practically, practically, pray for needs, pray for activity, pray for Decisions. Outside of marriage, cover your friends with prayer, right? Pray for your boss. He needs prayer. He needs help. And guys, all over the place. Pray for your teachers. They're trying to do a job and they're in a tough situation. Pray for the surge. Listen, you never know when some crazy guy's going to show up. At the, I, I'm gone one Sunday and like the crazy man comes and ah. Listen, pray that, that Dwayne will handle that well. And from what I heard he did, he did pretty good. But listen, pray for us because you never know what you're going to get. I mean, like we might have people that, that come in. And especially with the heart that God has given us, uh, the game is afoot. There are things bubbling behind the surface. There are things happening that are going to be really, really cool. Satan is going to oppose that. He's going to oppose that. And he's going to send a lot of crazy our way. Pray that we would be wise in our decisions, that we would step into the very center of where God wants us to be, that we would speak up when we need to speak up and that we would keep our mouth shut when we need to be quiet. Sometimes that's hard to do. But pray for us. Pray that we would have that kind of wisdom. And, and above all, listen, some, some of you be more organized than I am. Make a list. You know, love, I love, I love lists. I don't, I don't love lists. But there are people that love lists. Make a prayer list. If that works for you, do it. If, if it's more, do it when you're coming out and when you're going in. Make prayer a part of the normal walk of life. Find what works for you. Lots of excuses here, and, and gosh, I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I haven't done, I haven't done that before. I, I don't know what to do. You know what? This series is called From This Day On. So that's fine. What's in the past? But stop. From this day on, decide to do something different. Pray. Cover your life and cover your activity in prayer. Figure it out. You say, well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable doing that. So what? Get over it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, seriously, get over it. The benefits are worth you feeling uncomfortable for five minutes. It's going to be okay. You're not going to die. Just get over it. Be uncomfortable for a minute. The benefit is worth it. And extending out. I mean, look, can I just... God help me in these next two minutes. It, there's shootings this week, right? In Dallas and Louisiana and stuff. I, I don't even know that these... I can't even keep up. It seems like there's shootings this week. And every week, it seems like. This is crazy. And everybody has an opinion. And thanks to Facebook, we can see all of the opinions immediately in real time every time something happens. Can we take a beat? Can we put down the opinions and set aside the rhetoric and set aside the political filter just for a second? Can we lift the word of God above our brokenness, above our division, above our opinions, above our desire to do something, anything? Here's what God has to say about national life. Let me just read this and just hear it. Second Chronicles 7 says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven 
and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will pray, God will move. He says it. He says it very clearly. And so, what, what do I want to do? I, I think about the police. Man, what a tough gig. Are you kidding me? You deal with people all day, every day that for the most part are, doing, are nefarious evildoers, right? How hard would it be? I, I just, just think about it for a second. Put yourself in their shoes. How hard would it be to get that right in terms of judgment, in terms of making snap decisions? Man, they, they've got a tough road to hoe. And can I just say, I think having a police department in society is a good idea. Good, right? We need police around to keep us safe, to help us in certain situations. At the same time, very disturbed by things of abuse. And, and it's understandable. They're people. Is it possible for police to make a mistake? Of course it is. Oh, my gosh. How could it not be? They're in a dangerous situation all day, every day. There's going to be stuff that goes off the rails. God bless the police, right? God bless the police, if you're angry at the police, I get it. Pray for them. They need help. They need God's wisdom and intervention. And they need his justice and his righteousness and his perspective as much as anybody I can think of. I think about a poor kid in Baltimore who, who is poor. He's from a single uh, parent home. His, his parent is working two jobs to try to make ends meet and feed him human food. And he feels disenfranchised and he's looking around and he doesn't see a lot of jobs and he doesn't see a lot of opportunities. Is he angry? Of course he's angry. If he's not angry, he's a moron. He's not paying attention. Anybody would be angry in that situation. What do we do? Well, help if we can, but look, pray. Pray for the people that are behind uh, the pushback and the call for injustice that in many cases seems justified. Pray for those people. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek God's face, turn from our own flaws in character. God promises that he will hear from heaven and that he will bring healing to our land. And oh my goodness, if there's anything that we could agree on, black, white, yellow, police, non-police, whoever, our land in some respects is broken. There's a lot of stuff wrong. We need healing. We need God to help us. Can we take just a minute right now and pray for our nation? Will you just join me in that? Father, I, I, I don't know what to ask for. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, but I believe what your word says is true. That your people, of whom there are many in this room, that if we'll humble ourselves, God, we humble ourselves. We know we don't have it figured out. We know we don't have all the answers. We know we don't have some super special insight into how to fix society. We know that. But Lord, we know that our hearts are broken when we see the stories after story after story of, of injustice, of innocent people being shot and killed on both sides of the law. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with the families of, of everyone who's lost someone this week, that you would speak supernaturally over their lives, that you would bring them peace beyond understanding, that you would bring them forgiveness beyond our ability to forgive, that you would supernaturally speak over our families in this room, our community that surrounds us, our nation of America, that you would speak healing over our land, that you would raise up voices in this generation that would be a credible witness to people that desperately need to hear your voice and your perspective. 
Lord, I pray that you would raise up leaders that would speak to this generation in a way that we could understand and accept and take action and that could make a difference. And Lord, I just ask that if there's something that you want us as a church to be involved in that, that you would put our feet on the path, that you would steer us in the right direction. Show us what you want us to do. It's done. Tell us what you want us to pray and we'll ask. Give us the words to speak and we will speak them and we will write them. And Lord, I pray that you would make us a part of what you're doing in this community, in this area, in the extended network of every relationship that's, that's in the sound of my voice, that you would bring healing and power and provision and wisdom and your holy love to make an actual difference. God, help us pray. Teach us as a people to pray. Amen. Over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to talk about a few things. And uh, on the graphic, on the slide, you'll see seek God, the fight fair, the have fun, stay pure, never give up. Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. Going to spend the next few weeks. Next week is fight fair.